Welcome to the Mill Park Baptist Church podcast. At Mill Park Baptist Church, we exist to know, love and serve God in our world. You can find out more about us online at millparkbaptistchurch.net. We hope this message encourages you. And I hope that perhaps each one of us, even if we can't say that completely wholeheartedly today, that God might be stirring something within each of us. Because you know what? Waiting is an inherently human task. It is part of what it means to be human is to wait. And so it is how we wait upon God that truly matters. God calls us to wait with hearts that are completely his. So I wonder for you, what's it been like My clicker has stopped working. Here we go. (laughs) What's it been like for you to await the promises of God in your own life? I wonder if you know what the promises of God for you are. And going a step further, what's it been like to have a deep longing of your heart fulfilled? Or perhaps you're still waiting on some of those promises and those longings and and they become more acute with every birthday candle you put in your cake each year. Um, Jeff spoke about the promises of God just a few weeks ago and it's been an ongoing theme as part of this Abraham series. Um, Jeff urged us to to pledge and memorise the promises of God and declare them over our lives. Um, Just give me a nod if, if you're remembering and this is you're remembering that this is what we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah. So here's just a few of those promises. Later that day, um, after Jeff preached on pledging the promises of God, I went to a 70th birthday party, and a few of you were there. It was for Brian Keith. And uh, I started asking a few of you what were your promises that you claimed over your life. And here are just a few of them. Romans 8.28. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. And then Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord your God with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will make your paths straight. So I wonder, are there any other favourites out there, favourite verses of scripture, promises of God that you claim over you? So I've got my runner Tash here, and she is going to grab this mic, and uh, we're going to just have like a minute of open mic, and I would love to hear um, what promise you love in God's scripture that you claim over your life. So this is not a test, but you do get a chocolate at the end. (laughs) So I'd love to hear. Just pop up your hand if there's some promise that you hold on to. Murray, get us started. Thanks, Murray. Uh, The one I hang on to is uh, John 8.32. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Good one. Yep, thanks, Murray. Let's get a round of applause after each of these to encourage people. Except for one who tries to steal the whole box of chocolate. 
anymore. Um, I love Philippians 1.6, and I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's, finality, fi until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Yeah, thanks Esther. Good one. Good. <laughs> um, one of my very favourites is Isaiah 41.10. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. Mm -hmm. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Mm. Thanks, Mary. There's one over this side, I think, Tash. Is that Johan? I can't remember where this is from, but it's the one that says that uh, you'll never be tempted beyond what you can endure with his help, and that he'll always find a way out for you um, when you trust in him. Beautiful. Oh, now we're going. So, Val May, and then over to Dave next. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I have it as a decal up on my wall at home. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. And then I think it was Dave next, Tash. Yep, I'm yep. getting there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Tash needs a round of applause in a minute. <laughs> Thanks, Tash. Um, I love Hebrews 13 uh, where... Um, it says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Anyone else? I reckon we've got time for one or two more. Dave, try <laughs> getting a chocolate you're not allergic to. Right behind you there, Tash. <laughs> I have the microphone first. Um, Romans 15, 13. <clears throat> Oh, may the God of green hope fill you up with joy, fill you up with peace, so that your believing lives, filled with the life-giving energy of the Holy Spirit, will brim over with hope, the hope that's not lost in the wait. Mm. Beautiful. We've got one more. Oh, this Mary, Tufa. This is my second favourite. <laughs> Isaiah 64, 4. It may be my first favorite. <laughs> For since the world began, no ear has heard, no eye has seen mm. a God like you who works for those who wait for him. Yeah. And a round of applause for Tash, our runner. Thanks, Tash. I'm Tash. <laughs> So these are great promises. I love each one of those. And, and if you are struggling to think of one for you, I hope that just begins to whet your appetite to begin to dig deeper into God's word and to, to listen closely as we, we dig into God's word today. Great, great promises. The thing about scriptural promises um, versus those 
person-specific promises, however, is that they're not bound up in earthly things like a house or a car or even a relationship or a child or wealth. The kinds of promises that God calls us to pledge and the kind of promises throughout Scripture carry eternity into our now. And that's what is meant by Paul in Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 19, where he says, And my God will meet all of your needs according to the glorious riches of Christ Jesus. So how we wait on God matters. God calls us to wait with hearts that are completely his. So I wonder for you what it looks like to wait upon God's promises. So we've reached the part of Abraham and Sarah's story where the promise finally has arrived. And, you know, we've, we've seen Sarah give birth to a beautiful baby boy named Isaac, which is what we'll be digging into this morning. And it's all that Sarah and Abraham ever dreamed of, all that God had personally promised to them. So if you've got your Bibles with you this morning, we'll be turning to Genesis chapter 21, and so reading from the the first verse there. So the Lord graciously remembered and visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for her as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age, at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham named his son Isaac, meaning laughter, the son to whom Sarah gave birth. So Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was 80 days old, just as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. Sarah said, God has made me laugh. All who hear about our good news will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have given birth to a son by him in his old age. We've followed with Abraham and Sarah through their God-promised journey. And these are the aspects of their God-promised journey, just to summarise up to date. You know, in Genesis 15, God made his covenant promise to Abraham that he would have an heir and that he would, could look up in the sky and count the stars and that his children would outnumber those stars or that that's how many descendants he would have. And then in Genesis 16, it's full of human striving. Um, the birth of Ishmael um, after the childless Sarah Uh, gave her maidservant Hagar over to Abraham because she was struggling to wait. She was struggling to believe that she, a childless woman, could conceive this child that would be heir and who would would also bring into the world so many children as, as the number of stars in the sky. And so she gave her maidservant Hagar over to Abraham. And then Abraham asking God for his special blessing over Ishmael, the son that was born to Hagar. And then we see the laughter of disbelief from both Abraham and from Sarah, both of them laughing in disbelief that this promise could ever come to pass for them. Abraham laughed to himself, asking the question, how could I become a father at the age of 100? 
he thought, and how can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? And then in chapter 18, as we heard a couple of weeks ago, Sarah in the tent behind the the, um, animal skin, laughing silently to herself and saying, how could a worn out woman like me enjoy such a pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? So we've taken that promised journey from their initial vibrant faith and as that faith wanes, their human striving to make it happen and then their laughter of disbelief as every year they add another candle to the cake and they struggle to believe that this can ever come to pass. How we wait upon God really matters and God calls us to wait with hearts that are completely his. And now... The promise finally arrives for them and Isaac is born. And it's like that moment we described before in The Lion King where Simba is being presented on Pride Rock to the whole savannah. And we're going to watch just a little clip of that now just to remind ourselves what that Isaac birth might have been a little bit like. end of that, the <laughs> There's a beautiful moment where uh, Simba is presented to the savannah, but it just, it, it reminds me of Isaac's birth and finally when the promise arrives and the sense of incredible joy and pride in that moment. And so I want to talk this morning just really briefly that there are three things that tend to happen when the promise arrives. So the first one is that God redeems the past. 
It wasn't that long ago, if you remember, that Sarah and Abraham were laughing to themselves, right? Laughing to themselves in disbelief that this baby would be born. And this miracle baby boy is given the name Isaac. And if you know, if you're an Isaac or have an Isaac in your family, you might know that that name means laughter. And so I hope the irony is not lost on you, as it's not lost on me, that Sarah and Abraham, who've been laughing, giggling away to themselves, that at an age of 190, that they would have this baby boy, that he finally arrives and they've been laughing in disbelief and suddenly they name this little boy Laughter. And their laughter of disbelief has turned into laughter of fulfilled hope. And that is so true, I think, of what God does in our lives. God redeems the past, you see. He takes our painful wounds and he turns them into beautiful scars. And he takes our disbelief and he turns it into trust. And in all these things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called and who have been called according to his purposes. I think a beautiful living example of this uh, in our church family today is the story of the, the story of Bethany Wake. And Bethany's uh, someone that many of you will know, but some of you who have perhaps more recently joined in our church might know her, might not know her story. Bethany was a loved member of our church family who passed away eight years ago from an inoperable brain tumour, and yet her story and her legacy continues to bear fruit worldwide as people are inspired and as God moves to redeem what was a painful story into a story of joy and celebration. I'm going to invite Lynn Wake to come and share the significance just of this week um, this is a very significant week in the life of that legacy. And so let's warmly welcome her. And I'll grab the mic for you, Lenny. Thank you. Nine years ago, she was sitting here with, the, with you young people. And some of you were here and were babies sitting over on this side of the church then. Um, and this time, nine years ago, Bethany um, had got terribly sick and nobody knew what was wrong. And when we got the diagnosis of an inoperable brain tumour and she was just 15, I remember being crumpled up on the bathroom floor and God gave me this promise. From Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I gave a bit of a, bit of a laugh at that time in disbelief, as if something good could come out of this. No way. But it seemed like a real promise from God. So over these years, our family have reminded ourselves of this promise. And you know what? It goes on further to talk about how God is faithful and as we hold on to this promise, he's going to do so many things that we couldn't even tell you all the amazing things he has planned, all the wonderful things. 
So this week we come to the eighth anniversary of Bethany's passing. And, you know, if you just think of the grave, it seems like death has won. But we sang this morning about um, My Redeemer Lives. Thank you, Kathy and the team, for doing that one today. How amazing Jesus has conquered the grave. It's a reason why we can go on. And not just that, he's promised to redeem, to redeem the things that are lost. It means buy them back and turn them for good. And so this week we're kind of crying with the anniversary, but we're also laughing because God's opened up an amazing opportunity for Bethany's legacy. And I want to share it with you guys this morning, and, and Kat's invited me to do that, because this church, right from the beginning of the journey, you have journeyed in beautiful ways with us while we were just felt like in the pit of despair. And you helped us to keep our eyes on the promises. And so we want you to rejoice with us now. So we've um, had an amazing invitation. On Wednesday morning, I'm getting on a plane and I'm going over to Nepal. And I'm going to be filming a documentary with Australian Christian TV. I'm going to get meet some mothers whose children are blind from cataracts. You know, I just read that now and I just realised that many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Perhaps not just spiritual seeing, but maybe physical seeing as well. Many will see. Because I'm going to be part of CBM Miracles Day. And we're going to, um, there's going to be a three-part documentary shown probably in August, just before Miracles Day. We'll let you know. But this first part is going and meeting the mums, meeting kids. Some of them will have been born blind, journey with them through the operation and then go and um, be filmed getting the bandages off and being able to see again, some of them for the first time. Boy, I'm going to need your prayers because it's going <laughs> to be a very emotional time. But how amazing that God has opened up this way as we've waited on him, sometimes not so patiently, <laughs> but as we wait on God and trust in his promises and we have the support of each other to keep doing that. Let's just be amazed at what God's going to do and we can laugh with belief. <laughs> Amazing, yeah. So I would I'd love it if we could actually pray for Lynn right now. And if you'd like to, to join us in prayer, I might even just invite you to stand and as we pray for Lynn and for the team. And you might even like just to reach out your hand as an expression of joining with us and partnering together. God, loving Father, we thank you that you redeem all things. You turn them to good for those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. And Lord, I know that you have and you continue to turn this loss and what the enemy intended for evil. Lord, you intend this for good. And you will use um, not only Bethany's story, but you will use Lynn. And, and the Wake family as they send her out and our church family as we send her out this week. And Lord, that we just claim that promise, Lord, that, that the sightless will recover their sight, Jesus, that the spiritually blind would see and that the physically blind would see. And Lord, that those that you have prepared in advance for Lynn to come alongside of, Lord, that she might speak hope and truth and love and grace. 
into them and likewise that she might receive a double portion of that for herself and Lord for each member of the family. Uh, Lord we, we lift up Dave, Rachel, Nicole, James, Mel and the, ex- and the rest of the extended family, Kath who's here today as well as Lynn's mum. Lord that this week at the anniversary would be a re- week of redemption for them as a whole family. We thank you that you redeem us and you turn our pain and sorrow into celebration. We laugh with you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lenny. Thank you. (laughs) I'm not sure we can top that story of redemption, but there's just a a couple more um, points that I want to share with you. Um, that of what happens when the promise arrives. And the second one is this, that when the promise arrives, God exposes plan B. So, you know, we, we enter back into that story. Isaac is born and suddenly plan B is made abundantly clear. Um, the, the son Ishmael, who was born as, as Sarah gave her maidservant over to Abraham to sleep with. Um, he, she has born uh, Ishmael, this, this other child, and he is there watching Isaac be presented like Simba on Pride Rock. And we pick up in verse 8. When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham, and her Egyptian servant, Hagar, making fun of her son, Isaac. So she turned to Abraham and demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. He is not going to share the inheritance with my son, Isaac. I won't have it. We've got this hotbed of jealousy happening here as one son looks upon the other, as Ishmael looks upon Isaac jealous, Ishmael the firstborn, jealous of the rightful heir that's entered into the world, and also jealousy as the old rivalry that has existed for many years now between Sarah and between Hagar rises up. It's an ugly head again, and these two women look upon each other, um, rivaling each other for their role as the matriarch of the family. So Sarah's compromise becomes very clear that in giving, um, in giving Hagar over to Abraham, uh, she has distrusted the promise of God. And suddenly there are just too many reminders in this family, too many jealousies playing out um, that plan B was not God's plan A. We compromise too in countless ways, don't we? We compromise instead of waiting on God for a partner who loves Jesus. We choose ungodly relationships. Instead of waiting on God for his promised provision during times of financial difficulty, we start to make other compromises and we maybe compromise our giving back to God what belongs to him, our, our generous giving. We struggle to wait on God for our kids to make their own decision to follow Jesus. 
And so we start to make all sorts of compromises and we try and force them into church activities, perhaps um, in an attempt to manipulate circumstances that they would choose to follow Christ. We make all sorts of compromises, big and small, um, in order to bring about God's plan A, but we seek to do this via human intervention, plan B. So I wonder this morning, what plan B do you need to give back over to God, to wait on him in complete trust and integrity? Because how we wait on God matters, and God calls us to wait with hearts that are completely his. The third thing that happens when the promise arrives is that God makes room for the promise. And Sarah, she turns to Abraham and she gives him the ultimate ultimatum. And she says, basically, this is a paraphrase, Isaac's in and Ishmael's out, is what she's saying. And Abraham is left in this awful, unenviable position that he has to choose. He has to choose. (laughs) And so we pick up the story in verse 11. This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you. For Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son because he is your son too. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food and a container of water, and strapped them on Hagar's shoulders. And then he sent her away with their son and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. I don't know about you, but I wonder what was going through Abraham's mind as he was preparing that meal um, to send away Hagar and Ishmael. I wonder if he was racked with guilt. I'm sure he was racked with guilt. I wonder as he was preparing that food whether he was beginning to regret his decisions, regret plan B, regret sleeping with Hagar to have another son, Ishmael, regretting all of this pain that could have so easily been prevented by waiting on God for plan A, perhaps not so easily prevented, but still could have been prevented. Ishmael's very existence, though it wasn't his fault, and I want to make that clear, but it was a daily reminder of Sarah and Abraham's human intervention to bring about a divine promise. At the end of the day, Sarah knew it, Abraham knew it, God knew it. Isaac and Ishmael, they couldn't exist side by side. They were like oil and water. And here's why, because In terms of symbolically, Ishmael, he represented slavery. He was born to a slave and he was born out of human striving, plan B. Whereas Isaac, he represented God's freedom, God's grace, this divine gift. And we know that striving and grace cannot exist side by side. And so one had to leave and that needed to be Ishmael. And so I wonder for you, what is dividing your heart from God this morning? What could that be? And what do you need to send out or say no to? Because perhaps it's incompatible with God's grace. 
And I'm going to say it's unlikely that for you it's going to mean sending out a child from your home. <laughs> Let's hope not. But it may be a poor decision that you made when you grew tired of waiting on God's promises. It may be a plan B that you started to carry out because it was so hard to wait on plan A. And so for Abraham, that was Ishmael that needed to be sent out. But what is it for you? How we wait on God matters. God calls us to wait with hearts that are completely his. So as we bring all of this together this morning, I want you to imagine with me that you're in a waiting room. And so I'm just going to sit over here just for a moment, pretend I'm in the waiting room. (laughs) And so are you. You're in your own waiting room. You've got something that is perhaps a promise from God, a longing uh, in your heart that you're waiting on him for. And as you wait, perhaps we'll imagine that that door over there (laughs) um, that leads into Devo's office (laughs) is the waiting room. As you wait, the years start to go by and you continue to to add another candle to your birthday cake. And your foot starts to tap and you start checking your watch you make some small talk with the person next to you on either side and you wait and you wait and you wait some more and you wait and finally your number's chosen and you stand up super triumphantly and it's 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 my turn i get to i get to go through that door And so as I walk over here, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I get to go into the next room I've been called. And I open the door. And as I do that, I walk in that next room and I discover that it's not the promise. It's actually a smaller waiting room. (laughs) And there's a few people in there too. And they're waiting. And they continue waiting. And you add another candle into your birthday cake, make another wish, blow out another candle, and you keep waiting on God. You with me? Yeah? This is the experience of life. This is Christian life. We wait upon God for his promises. Abraham and Sarah, they they waited till they were 100 years old and 90 years old for that promise to take place. And we can have all sorts of reactions in the waiting room, can't we? We can grow tired of waiting and we can just walk out of there. And there's nothing stopping you from doing that, and many people do. Or you can grow disillusioned in the waiting room and you can kind of just passively wait and just kind of, you know, pass out your days in that waiting room, which is also, I think, a a sad alternative. Or... And this is what I hope for each one of us. We can then choose to embrace the experience of waiting because as Jeff spoke to us a few weeks ago, it's in the waiting that God teaches us so much about who he is, his character, and he grows us in that experience. How we wait on God matters. God calls us to wait with hearts that are completely his. So if you would like just to understand perhaps how you can do that, just a a few really quick things that might get you on the track to waiting well with God. 
Number one, await his promise. And that means you need to know what his promises are. You need to get into his word. And as you heard before from those speaking out their promises, this is something for all of us that we can all do. Number two, wait with trust. And this means that God can and does transform our sorrow into celebration. And we heard that story from Lynn just before. Number three, hand over plan B. And that will mean getting alongside you, someone who knows you well enough to speak into your life and to help you identify and surrender the ways that you might be manipulating your circumstances, humanly speaking, to bring about divine promises. These things need to be let go. And number four, it means waiting wholeheartedly, identifying anything that takes you away, what your Ishmael is, that takes you away um, from God and hand it over. So these are things that we call idols in our lives, the things that take us away from having a complete wholehearted focus on God. Um, So as I wrap up, I just want to say really briefly, you know, for me, um, looking at this birthday cake, I have 33 candles on my cake this year. Not that I put candles on my cake. (laughs) But um, if I did, I'd be blowing out 33 of them. And for me, the significance of that is that that was the age that Jesus went to the cross for all of us. And so as I think about that, I think about 2,000 years ago, not just the promises we're claiming, but the promised one of God entered into this world. He put on flesh and blood. He became one of us. And he died in our place so that we wouldn't have to. He died at 33 so that I could have a birthday this year. And not just a physical birthday, but so that I could have life abundant. And that's something that each one of us can have. And so that is my encouragement to you this morning. Perhaps you want that abundant life and and perhaps you need some help from God to know how to wait on him. So if that is you, I'd just encourage you Um, to pray with me now. So let's close our eyes and bow our heads and and let's pray together. God, loving God, we give thanks this morning. We thank you, Lord, that in your word it says the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And so, God, I'm just imagining right now that your eyes are searching to and fro throughout this whole church to look for hearts that are completely yours, that are completely devoted to you. And, Lord, I pray that you would be transforming our hearts into utter devotion, that anything that's taking us away from you, that we can hand that back to you now and continue to do that for the rest of our lives. Strengthen us this morning. Help us to wait in that waiting room. For those of us who are getting called into the next room, help us to wait there and help us to wait until we see those promises fulfilled in this life or in eternity. We thank you that we can do this through the promised one who has come that we might have life and have it to the full. We thank you and we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.